Funny story, the author of this book we're going to discuss once sat in my lap and sang to me. podcast where we talk about comic books and graphic novels worth having on your shelf and for today a uh, young adults novel that i've read um and and teased in a uh, interesting fashion i guess that at least got taylor curious yeah. um yeah. but i had told you too because you um right before we hit record we we're having a, a conversation just catching up and it, you know we all go through those like hills and valleys the you know the strikes and gutters of uh comic book enthusiasm or whatever and it, it sounds like after your portland trip you kind of swung into a valley and uh i had an experience yesterday um that i was just so excited about and i was like i texted you like oh i got i got something to tell you about this um so a couple of episodes ago i told you about the very sad closure of the comic book shop that i've been going to for like 11 oh, years oh yeah that's right yeah and i got more details the week after that when we had our reinstated book club um which ha- had been founded at the shop by one of the um uh, one of my friends who worked in the shop and uh, has and she has also been on the show her name is laney and we talked about punk rock jesus back in 2018 um but anyway, I, you know, so I, I, there's not a lot of story there that I, that's mine to tell. Um, but it was nothing. I thought it was sort of rising rents and things like that, but it sounds like there's just a lot of personal factors that sort of led to the owner, um, moving the business, um, that had been there for a long time. And, and certainly like, <clears throat> you know, it was the shop for so many. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and there was this brief discussion at book club of like, well, where is everybody going to go now? And, Oh, well, there's this new place like down here. It's it's nearby, and um, we had all heard of it, but none of us had really like been there and checked it out. And I went there yesterday, um, and uh, I, I I guess it came up because I had a separate conversation with another friend and was and was telling him like, oh, by the way, you know, Comics Unlimited closed, and he he was surprised, and and he said the same thing like well i think there's this new store down the street they've actually been there since january they're called strange cereal and that's in huntington beach mm. on uh, uh on gothard street and i remembered once i walked in and um talked to one of the guys working there how i'd heard of them before because a friend of the pod uh pj perez had told me he had gone in there I, um, pj i hope this is correct and like this was like months ago after they opened and he said it just seems like a collector shop like they didn't have Ooh. But so I went in yesterday and, you know, just talked to him and and, bas- and told him the whole story. Like, hey, you know, I'm looking for this. I, I, I got to get all the variant covers of Maneaters number 12. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> and as you and I have talked about on a previous episode. And um, I and I and I said, and the problem was my pull list was at Comics Unlimited. They knew, you know, of course, the whole story of like the owner and they'd been going there for years. And it was just sort of chance that they had opened up this year and whatever but in the the reason it looked like a collector shop several months ago was because they were just it i guess it just takes a while to like set up that diamond distribution as you and i have mentioned before uh, like 
one distributor of comics and that mm-hmm. is diamond. And so they were saying like, the, our new books are here, but this is all we got. Like he points me to the shelf. Um, and so it was all like new Marvel and DC stuff, but you know, the, I guess the indie kind of runs behind. It just sounds like they're going to be good about chasing that stuff down and people are going to be pursuing. But I, it was that, that thing of like, Oh, you know, I found it. I found the shop for me. That feeling of like, Oh, this is cool. And it's like, mm-hmm. you know, um, it's owned by a guy around my age and the other guy working there is around my age and just, and, um, uh, and hopefully there will be <laughs> women there to give me some better perspective soon. Um, cause I really appreciated the, the woman at my last shop that gave me books that I would not normally seek out. But, um, this was, it was just that feeling of like, this isn't, uh, it's cool and it's like, you know, modern and fresh and stuff, but it's not like a hipster comic shop or it's not, it's not like trying to be something different. You know, they really want to be like the hangout spot. Um, and so they've got tables and back for games or their own book club. Um, but as PJ had told me, like the shelves there are, are just sort of stocked with, uh, you know, the flotsam and jetsam of, <laughs> you know, probably what they grabbed it at, uh, garage sales and like from other people going out of business and just what they had from personal collections or I have no idea, but it was that I can't really describe it as like a gold mine. You know, but it was that super fun feeling of like you're in a thrift store and you're finding all these goodies and you're like, holy crap, like why mm. am I finding all this? So the big one I wanted to tell you about this, like I'm like, try, you know, I was trying not to spend a lot of money because I uh-huh. originally thought I'm just going to go in, get these two issues of Maneaters. That's it. Um, uh, several episodes ago, I talked about this totally weirdo book that I found many years ago that was called just imagine Stan Lee's Catwoman. That's right. And yeah. Oh when you God. and I looked it up, we found that this was part of this weird series where Stan, I guess it was in the years where Stanley wasn't really officially a part of Marvel and DC invited him to like do this series that was, um, reimagining their heroes. And it, and you know, we talked about in the Catwoman episode, not only is it written in this fun and funny sort of Stan Lee way, um, which is, you know, it was like in the nineties, I guess, or early two thousands. So it wasn't quite, uh, it didn't, it still felt out of time. You know, there were no thought bubbles. It was all out loud. Like, thank God the green lightning has given me these cat powers and stuff uh, like that. Okay. Um, anyway, so, you know, goofy and fun, like Stanley stuff, but, but like incapable of imagining DC heroes in any way, but a Marvel, like, <laughs> you know, um, if you're, you know, you're Catwoman, so she grows nails, you know, <laughs> like it's oh, like yeah, that kind of thing. Yeah. So in you and I talking about this, we researched it and found out there's this whole series. And I'm like, oh, this is so random because I don't even know how I found this. It was just like in a bunch of Catwoman books at a comic shop. So anyway, Strange Serial had the whole series. <laughs> and oh. I was going nuts. Like, I want all of these, but they're... They're trade paperbacks, like they're a little bit bigger than a single issue each, but Uh, they're not quite like a five issue arc. You know, they're like it's kind of like those um those DC black label books that have been coming out recently that have it. They put them typically in these single issue shelves, but they're almost like prestige format. It's uh they're they're weirdly shaped and they're thicker, but they're not a full trade paperback. It's that weird it's that weird remember back in the nineties when 
like some back when we had music stores like cd stores and some of them would carry like weird six song eps of like records it's kind of like that weird middling where it's like a better price for the consumer and you're like who's this for i don't understand anyway these the single of comic books is that what you're saying no 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 i I know what you're talking about it's that special packaging thing of yeah It's more than a single issue, but it's not quite a trade. And I think I really got seduced into almost buying that Harley Quinn one um, because there's like a Superman Uh one. There's a Harley Quinn one that looks really good. The art looks amazing. These I'm still I'm still on the fence about these DC black books because I just think I'm like, why not just keep Vertigo going? And why why go through all this 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 theater? But it's interesting the kinds of things they're putting out. Let me ask you this: though, going back to Catwoman and Stan Lee, are the are those books like were are they so was that so avant garde for its time that they just shoved it into its own format so that people didn't weren't at all convinced or, or didn't think that, that was somehow part of continuity? I I'm not totally sure because I I'm not actually clear on when they came out. I was just trying with my aging eyes to see what the copyright in this was, but um I think this was actually the packaging of uh, oh, 2001. Was the was the packaging of Elseworlds books? So mm-hmm. I think it was sort of a symbol to readers, like, "Hey, this isn't really continuity," uh, you know. Okay. Okay. Um, but anyway, I had to make a decision because they literally had every one of them, and I couldn't. I just couldn't bring myself to buy all of them. Um, plus, there were things like Aquaman uh, that I don't care about. So <laughs> how, how many are how many issues are there in the series? There are ten or twelve. Oh, okay. So. I, so I feel that I had – um, crap, I can't remember his name. But in High Fidelity, John Cusack's uh, uh, character, and maybe this doesn't happen in the movie. Maybe it's only in the book, um, where they, he goes to this, like, woman is selling this crazy record collection. And he goes, and they, she has, like, everything. And then he's asking her, like, how do you have so many rare 45s and stuff, you know, that I've been seeking for my whole life? And she says – Oh, well, they're my boyfriends and we broke up. And so I'm just getting revenge on them by selling all this for nothing. <laughs> and he can't like bring himself to just like totally rip this boyfriend off because he's like, oh, my God, you that that guy is going to be crushed when he finds out his record collection is gone. And I can't be a part of that. So he just buys like one thing that he really wants. So I kind of felt that I feel bad for breaking the set. But I also felt like, man, I don't want to, you know, I know I don't care about Aquaman and a couple of the others. So I got. Um, so I did break the set. I'm the bad guy. Uh, but I got Batman and judging from the art on the cover, he actually turns into some sort of bat man. Um, huh. no, wait, these are all Stan Lee interpretations. Yes. yes they're all just oh, imagine Stan Lee. That I got, sounds, <laughs> sounds kind of like that. Whatever happened like two or three years ago where they had Superman, Wonder Woman and Batman reimagined in like weird ways. Like Superman wore like a, a trench coat and yeah. like, had a goatee. I don't know what that even was. I forget what the, it, you know, Wonder Woman had like a weird white costume on. It was a different woman Wonder- besides Diana Prince. Oh, that's um, weird. Cause I got Wonder Woman and she's in this weird white and gold costume. I wonder if huh. this is somehow spun off that way. But then the thing that really blew me away was I didn't know this one existed. I got crisis. Stan oh my God. Crisis. Holy so crap. anyway, I, you know, that's not even my whole haul. The um, uh, I also uh, uh, they had a, a really small shelf right next to the counter that I was flipping through just randomly while I was waiting to talk to the guy, and uh, I didn't realize it was the mature readers section. Um, but I stumbled across every trade paperback for this r- random manga called The Dirty Pair, which was 
uh, at least illustrated and at one point sort of written by this guy named Adam Warren. And I don't know the whole story if it was an actual like Japanese company that owned the rights and then maybe they hired an American to do it or Dark Horse just bought the rights and, and hired Adam Warren to do it. And it's sort of um, I, it just sort of has a, uh, a reputation for like him being this artist and like and doing sort of cheesecake art in a satirical style. So I, I could probably talk about this book a whole lot because he also does this book called empowered now, which is supposedly that, but I maybe brought it up on the show because the satirical style to me is like, yeah, but he's really doing the cheesecake thing. So I don't know if it's satire anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, as opposed to like mockingbird, which we uh, talked about, which, you know, twists that on its head and has, you know, mockingbird sort of in the James Bond role of like hooking up with all this beefcake all the time. And, you know, that to me is like, that's satire. Like there's a spin on it. But um, anyway, uh, I had stumbled across Dirty Pear in some other random shop many, many, many years ago and um, bought, you know, a couple issues that are not issues, bought a couple trades that I saw and then later on discovered this trade that was like printed in color, but it was the same trade I had in black and white. And it was just this random discovery of like, I didn't know anyone even knew about this book. And at one time I, I brought up empowered or another Adam Warren book or something like that in comics unlimited. And Lainey told me like, she was like, Oh I, yeah, Adam Warren. And he did all this other stuff. And you know, she knows like all the art he's done. Um, so I found this volume that I had never seen before. Uh, so of course I was like, what the hell is this? <laughs> and the art looks slightly different and it is still Adam Warren. So I don't know if he had, I don't know if this is a later book and he had changed his style for it or, um, if it was an early book and he just didn't have the style yet. But anyway, I got that. And then I also got, um, uh, the Batman run called the cult, which I know nothing about, but it's Jim Starlin and it's this like sort of classic looking nineties, uh, trade paperback. Um, That's so I haven't even heard of that. When did that? Yeah. 91. 91. Yeah. So it's on the edge of the like nightfall kind of stuff. Like I had flipped through it and there are some images of Batman that I'm actually, I'm not really sure if it's Bruce Wayne or if it's that other dickhead that took over. Um, Azriel or whatever. Mm. Um, I don't know if there's a whole, the whole nightfall saga is insane. So I, I can't even summarize it. it. It like the first civil war is a series I've never been able to get all the way through. Um, but anyway, I, it's around that time period and it, and it's kind of dark looking. And so I was really intrigued and, and grabbed all those and just had to, you know, satisfy myself. Like this is all I can take home today, but, um, I'm so excited to go back to that place and, you know, have a new pull list set up and, um, it, I don't know, just seems cool. You know, so you had your love rekindled. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's excellent. I, I am looking yeah. up, by the way, at Imagine Stanley's Aquaman, and he looks like Man Sapien or Abe Sapien from uh, Hellboy. Like he looks, <laughs> of course, he's like made of water. <laughs> yeah, because Stanley's like, no, he's an Aqua Man. <laughs> Excelsior! And he just keeps writing, and they're like, okay, Stan, you go for it. Wow, we got Stanley yeah. here at DC Comics. Isn't this amazing? <laughs> He's like, Dr. Doom is actually... Wait, no, Dr. Doom's not in DC. Who's another DC character he could jack up? Like, who do Hawk we got? Man. Clockman. What? Green Hawk, Lantern. Hawkman was what I said. Green Lantern. Oh, yeah. I'd love to see what that looks like. He's a, no, he's a literal green human being <laughs> that glows. Yeah, I picked... I don't know if there's a standalone, but he's in the... Stanley Imagines the JLA. 
Um, cause I, I flipped through that one and I was like, Oh, I, I don't know about this. And, th- and then I know one of the other ones I passed up was Sandman and I'm like, I don't care. And, uh, yeah. So anyway, it was just, um, you know, they're there. They're at strange cereal in Huntington beach. If anyone wants to go pick those up. Oh, they also had, this is, this just blows. This was, this is just so crazy. And I wanted to get this artifact, but the pragmatist in me wouldn't let me do it. So, uh, I think you and I have talked about this on the show before, but nobody will remember this. Um, way back in the 80s, it had to be the 80s, couldn't even have been the 90s, I read these um, novels, which were actually, they weren't novels, they were packaged like a novel, but it was like a collection of short stories about these real, like realistic superheroes was kind of the spin. Mm-hmm. So it was, you know, it was just a, it was just a, you know, a manuscript, like it was just a novel. There's no, there's no pictures or anything. Um, it sounds like so stupid to explain that, but, uh, and they were all these, um, short stories by different sci-fi and fantasy writers only, you know, in the last eight years, did I learn that the, um, guy that put that whole project together was George RR Martin. What? So in this totally weird way, I had read George Martin when I was like, 12 years old or something. And these books were not meant for 12 year olds. They were adult and they were, they were called wild cards. Um, so I think it concerned like this, you know, like radioactive event or something that gave all these human beings powers. And then they, I don't remember exactly how the origin was or anything, but basically every short story would sort of be one, you know, they could, they, all the writers could write in world without having any continuity problems or something. Cause one would just be in like Kansas city, you know, and this is what happened to this guy. Um, so they're called wild cards and apparently they made a comic book of it. And there was a trade paperback of that at strange serial. And I picked it up and in the intro to it, it, it talks about how there were these books and this was the comic book that spun out of it. And, you know, of course, the man responsible for this is George R.R. R. Martin. You probably know him from, and it lists like five sci-fi books that you have never heard of. <laughs> this is all pre-Game of Thrones, of course. Yeah, pre-the writing of Game of Thrones even, you know, which was like 91 or something. That's so, adorable. I forgot that he yeah. used to like write TV shows and comics and stuff like way back in right. the day. That was... so, so it's like his sci-fi novels, and then it's like... He worked on this before he moved out to Hollywood to work on the new Twilight Zone. And we're all like, yeah, that lasted no, no time at all. Didn't he, he also, also write on Beauty and the Beast? Yes, he did. Yes! <laughs> With Linda anyway, Hamilton. That was wow. one of those like artifacts where I was like, I want this, but only for that paragraph. And I just can't bring myself... Like what a you know what a I I some some artifacts like that are worth having that one I had to make a judgment call on like I can't do it. Oh, <laughs> uh, see, I'm always I'm always so torn because I'll uh, yeah just out of, just as an example I was at a comic shop in Minneapolis a week and some change ago, and I after much indecision because it struck me. You know, I love going to the shop. It's very near where my friends li- uh, live, where I stay. I could walk there, and it's just a you know really w- w- well done shop, kind of over in Golden Valley. And I was walking through it, but I you know I did the whole like you know thirty minute pass over everything, and then went back and like started getting picky and choosy. Yeah. But I was kind of like, man, I'm either gonna have to buy a lot or nothing, because I just I didn't know yeah. where to fall, and so I just decided, you know what, I'm just gonna only grab things from the local rack because they had a pretty pretty oh, impressive nice. like local shelf but i ended up and, and after after kind of looking at it i'm like ah, i don't know if this is even something i want to continue but i ended up getting uh two issues one and two of a local series called woe is oz 
which is a uh, sort of uh, reimagining of The Wizard of Oz as a sequel to the original books, um, but it's slightly sexy for some reason. <laughs> it's, okay. And like Dorothy's like 17 for some weird reason. Like it's all, it's, I mean, it's still, I guess a middle schooler could read it and be okay, but I wouldn't go much younger than that just cause it's, it's very gory. Um, mm. but it's just, it, I'm just like, I don't, and then I, I got back home. I'm like, why did I, ha- why did I get this? But then I looked at the cover. I'm like, it's just a cool thing to have in the archive. Um, you know, at some point I've got a lot of single issues in uh, two of my bins that are just going to be amazing collector's items in like 30 years. Right. You're just going to be like, oh my God, where'd you get this? And it's be yeah. something that I picked up, whether it be a variance or just a really cool th- series nobody's heard of. And I sometimes do this because at one time, a little comic called Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles was exactly that. Right. Where if you were lucky enough to get issue one, two, and three of that series in its original printing, because Eastman and Large just self-published it, I think the first couple months and then it um then they, they quickly quickly moved up but that first self-publishing printing is like unbelievably sought after now and so that's, just i'm like what else is going to be the next thing like the next version of that that's a, that's a funny example because one of the guys at strange serial said that in their dollar bins some guy came up with like this issue of that was some other comic book that was the first appearance of the teenage mutant ninja turtles hmm. and he was like this was in our dollar bin wow <laughs> Wow. And the guy was like, yeah, you got like five of them. <laughs> and so they had to go get them and like price them appropriately. <laughs> like, you know, cause it's just uh, a comic the shop. shop behind the, yeah. Behind the counter. Like, um, whoa. The, <laughs> but uh, that, that brings up that great question of like, you know, the, and I think it just depends on the kind of collector you want to be, you know? And for me, I was that way. And I, uh, with CDs as Dumb and random as that sounds right now, you know, but like college and afterwards, like I was hunting down every import single and every version. And it was like, you know, I'm not, I barely even play this. Like I probably just put the extra B sides on a tape and then put the CD on my shelf or something. Um, and so now buying comic books and mostly just cause I have very limited space. Um, I really just, you know, I want it, if it's going to be, if it's like that, a collector's kind of thing, I really want it to sort of, you know, bring joy in some way you know that's like this is here for a reason or whatever like i have a uh, an issue of uh bitch planet like on display in my house you know because i'm like i love that artwork like that goes there you know bring um, joy did you intentionally not say spark joy for copyright I did. trademark I did. reasons <laughs> <laughs> yeah <laughs> it's funny you say that though i actually while we're talking so prior to recording i i expressed to todd i'm sort of in a malaise right now where I just I think I might have too much catch up reading to do. And I think after going to Portland and then side note, I'm kind of into tarot card collecting now. So that's a whole other thing. Um, <laughs> we'll talk about this on a later episode. Yeah, that's a whole other thing for another day. But like somewhere along the last two weeks, I've just kind of gotten a little burnt out. And I think part of the reason is I look at my shelf and it has gotten aggressively full. And I think I might need to do a little bit of a purge to mm. to reassess and kind of, you know, get back to to, to something and it's it's gonna be very hard because i thought i had been very intentional up to this point i mean i can see yeah. a few things that might go but not a lot do you, so i don't know it's gonna be tricky do you have a, a, a plethora of single issues that you might have to purge <sighs> yeah that's, that's probably i only bring that up because that's a personal problem like for me is that i literally have like a bin that's just full of of I'm single issues good. 
I've been pretty good about buying single issues only when they're like really cool variants or yeah. something interesting, or I'm doing the series like the recently concluded House of X, Powers of X series. Sorry, mm-hmm. Powers of Ten series. Um, which holy crap! If you haven't even started, uh, I have not. <laughs> you, yeah, you need to. It it is. Uh, woo! It is a good one from Jonathan Hickman. So if, if you've been putting it yeah. off, I highly recommend that being the next thing you pick up. But I've got series like that or um, some things I've shared on Instagram over time, but I'm already looking at a good chunk of my shelf space is just single issues. Like, I don't know if I necessarily need, I mean, like I grab a lot of things digitally on Comixology as single issues. It seems to be a bit more, you know, like I have a bunch of injustice, all my, that- all my masters of the universe, like all the stuff where it's, it's going to be like, you know, 40 plus single issues. Uh, no, I'm just going to grab that digitally. Cause it's just, that's so much interesting. Easier. Cause I don't want to do that stuff on comiXology. It's mm. like when it comes to digital, I almost want the collected edition, but I, but I have these single issues. Like every time, uh, my friend Eric Coda, you know, illustrated like a, a, an issue of X-Men. I, I like, I have that, mm-hmm. but but it's but the my problem is it's sitting in a bin, so it's like not on display. I'm not really seeing it. You know, it's it's sort of not fulfilling its purpose, I think. But anyway. Ugh. Let me ask you this. Let me ask yeah. you this. Do you, are you ever afraid that I would let's just say half of your shelf, if not more, will never get read again? But yes. you can't bear to part <laughs> with that book. Because you're yes. like, I freaking love this book. It's like a talisman of that time of my life. But I probably won't read it again. Like that. Those are the books where I'm like, man, you know, like ah, it's. I'm torn because I'm like, what if, what if there is a day where I'm like, man, I and, and and I say this having full. I think I've expressed this to you before. I have purchased no less than three times the book Red Mass for Mars by Jonathan Hickman. And I have donated it all three times because I'm like, this is, this is like his worst book. And yet about a year later, I'm like, you know, maybe I misunderstood. I got to give that another shot. Let me give that another try. (laughs) Buy it all over again. And then I'm like, ah, no, this is not great. So I finally broke myself of that habit, but I've done that before. I, I have givers remorse so quickly and I'm just like, man, maybe I, Maybe I should not do that. I don't know. I, this will be an I, ongoing conversation. I think that we keep. We keep I going to, to. totally agree. But yeah, you, I feel called out by that <laughs> because that's exactly what's happening on my shelves right now. And there's stuff I gotta have that like I didn't get it feeling all the time. <laughs> uh huh. But then what I have series that I haven't concluded. Like, um, right. uh, oh, what's this one? Hang on, hang on, hang on. Uh, Injection. So I have volumes one and two, but not three. I've been mm-hmm. meaning to get three. But I'm like, if I don't get three in the next year, why do I keep one and two? And that's a great series. Man, that's um, me with I Hate Fairyland. Yeah, but I got the I. It's interesting about the I Hate Fairyland. I got a bunch of this is that classic thing where I started with single issues, digitally Ooh. or physically. Then I got the trades. Then I traded in the trades for that beautiful hardcover. Yep. And then I've got like the second hardcover coming. So it's just like, yeah, it's 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 a tricky. tricky yeah. Whereas issue. I got the first two trades and now I'm like, well, should I get the hardcover? Cause, because then that means I will have to get the next hardcover yeah. to be a completist. Oh boy. It's, I'll tell uh, you this, if you're, if you're on the fence out there, dear listener, I highly recommend that hardcover. It is <laughs> like a scary book. <laughs> well, I got to save up my money for his Oz collection. Scotty oh, Young. The Jesus. Drew yeah. Huddleston, who's an occasion we've, he's been on the show before and a uh, frequent listener. Thank you, Drew has, uh, he's purchased. He purchased it, didn't he? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it just—I didn't even know uh, a lot of like shots of the pages as he's been as he was reading it, taunting us. Yeah, I didn't realize Scotty Young and that dude is writing Middle West. 
So right. let's keep that in mind too. But like he's doing all these Marvel variant covers still, which are amazing. Every time I post one of those on Instagram, just everybody freaking loves it. Um, but I, I don't understand how he had time to do an entire Oz series. That's like what? 800 pages. It's some ridiculous length. Oh, it's insane. It's, it's, it's every, uh, uh, Frank Baum or whatever that guy's name is. Like it's every, it's every Oz book illustrated. I think mm-hmm. yeah. oh, that's crazy. Yeah. Hey, we can't, there's no segue into the book I was going to talk to you about, but I'm going to, this is the most abrupt shift. Do it. You for sure (laughs) know, uh, officer Jim Dangle from Reno 911. You know, I am one of those rare birds. What? I really watch Reno 911. My wife gives me shit about it all the time. But even still, don't you, I mean, just saying that. Can't you picture the guy in the tiniest shorts ever with yes. the mustache? Okay. Yes, that guy. I know. I know who he is. Um, that guy is Thomas Lennon, <laughs> and uh, he was a uh, was he in the state? Oh God, I can't believe I'm I'm second guessing myself on that. So yeah, he was in like an improv comedy troupe called The State, and um, you know, came up on MTV through that, and like he's just he's everywhere. You've seen him in everything. He's in the CBS reboot of the odd couple with Matthew Perry. Um, Wait, I don't know. That's which, a, that's a I don't thing. know. Yeah. I don't know which one he is. It's been going on for like five years. I think I don't actually what? know. Maybe it may just be two years. I d- have no idea what's happening on broadcast television. Uh, nor do I clearly yeah. this. Wow. <laughs> anyway, he is a super funny human being. And um, several years ago uh, with Eric Coda, um, I attended the comedy bang, bang Christmas uh, live show. Um, and, Thomas Lennon closed it down with an improvised song uh, during which he came and sat in my lap because <laughs> Eric, of course, was like, let's sit in the front row. And I was like, no, something humiliating will happen. And <laughs> he was like, no, it won't. And so we sit did in the he front know? row. Was he, was he, did he go before and he's like, we're going to sit in the front row so this happens to Todd? Like, did, Probably. He, I wouldn't put it past him because not only did that happen, I had already been called up on stage earlier in the night. <laughs> um, it was awful. Uh, so I'm sitting, yeah, I'm sitting there like twice humiliated, you know, and Thomas Lennon comes and sits in my lap and, and improvises a song for a long time, like <laughs> uncomfortably, like it was that thing of like, he was doing it to a bunch of people, but then he realized how uncomfortable I was. So he just yeah. planted himself, you know, yeah, of course. Um, anyway, that's Thomas Lennon, uh, really hilarious guy. And if you listen to our comic con recap episode, you know that I went to this panel called like the fundamentals of storytelling. And I was going to see these, um, two writers and illustrators that I sort of knew from Instagram, Whitney Gardner and Sarah Anderson. And I've reviewed uh, chaotic good by Whitney and, um, one of the Sarah scribbles, like, a uh, adulthood is, Oh my gosh, I'm sorry, I can't remember the name of it. But you can look in our archives. Adulthood is a myth? Something like that. Yeah. Uh, uh, anyway, um, so I was going to see them, and I'm like reading the description like Thomas Lennon, you know? And of course, it's not even like beating around the bush like, oh, the author Thomas Lennon. It was like Thomas Lennon, you know, parentheses, Jim Dangle from Reno 911. <laughs> like, come to this panel, you know? So I go to this panel. And uh, Whitney has some fun like Instagram posts afterwards where I've never even posted the picture of me and Whitney, by the way. But um, it was great to meet her there. And I will do that when we talk about her book, Fake Blood, soon. Um, but uh, she's sitting right next to Thomas Lennon. She has these fun Instagram posts of like, you know, trying not to freak out. 
<laughs> like, um, and they were all there because they just they had a, a a recent book, and I'm assuming like a somehow under the same publishing arm somehow, you know. Okay. Um, and so I have no idea why Thomas Lennon is there, and then he tells us about this book that he's written called Ronan Boyle and the Bridge of Riddles. And what? Yes, and it is wow. a young a young adult novel, and he he describes it as well. It's Ronan Boyle is the narrowest boy in Ireland, and he is an intern with the Garda, the police. And they discover that he is. They call on him for this one specific case because he is so narrow he can actually like slip between these <laughs> these buildings that like leprechauns use to sort of escape down these narrow pathways or something like okay. that. Okay. And so as Thomas Lennon is telling us a story, I mean, it's just nuts. And he, he told so many details that are in the book, but it's like, you, you can't even spoil it because it, it helps to know how nuts it is. So Ronan Boyle quickly finds himself in an Ireland that is full of fairy folk and that there is a secret Irish uh, unit, like the special unit of the Garda that only patrols um, the fairy folk as they come into the Republic. And they then there's a, there's also like a, a fairy folk equivalent of this called the Ouija's, um, but they're super corrupt. And those are the those are the leprechauns who come into the Republic to like patrol their own citizens, but they're super corrupt. And so they're they're never actually there doing good. They're always <laughs> just being terrible leprechauns and uh, uh, clericons and uh, whatever else they are. So it is bananas <laughs> wow. you know there's um and the uh, for starters it is just like drenched in great and i'm sorry i i'm uh gonna be a real scotsman here and not know or the irish gaelic something like yes, that yes. they're not celtic but they pause, are pause for know. a second he wrote and illustrated it no, there's no illustration. Oh, well, sorry. There are illustrations, but it is not an illustrated book. It is. This is like a YA novel. I see. Okay. Yes. He he did tell a funny story about how he drew this like, you know, ornate map. Like he spent all these hours and he turned it into the publisher. Like these are all the, you know, locations of the book. And I've drawn this great map for you. And they hired a professional artist and <laughs> nice. redid it. Right. So there are, there are a few illustrations. Um, it's, uh, uh, but yeah, it, um, yeah, it's, it's it's dripping in Gaelic mythology, like the, the land that they go to through these little gates, um, you know, which are just like sort of portals. And the land is uh, Tirnanog, which is, um, I guess, just the mythical land of fairies, you know, and factors hugely in Carnival Row. Like Carnival Row is about the residents of Tirnanog coming into this, uh, whatever it's called, like the... Um, but the sort of fictional England that they come into, um, mm -hmm. that Amazon series. So, okay. you know, very uh, precipitous timing that both of these things sort of come out at the same time. Anyway, I, back to the comic con, he tells a story and I like walk out of the room and, you know, order the book. Like, <laughs> um, <laughs> that's a so, hell of a sales pitch. Yeah. Yeah. Cause it's just, it's like Thomas Lennon. Um, so it is definitely written for a young adult audience. And I would think what what do you make what makes you say that? Is it the, the well? I always I'm always curious when people say young adult. Is it a more accessible kind of writing, or is it the subject matter, or is it all of the above, like length, all of that good stuff? All of the above. I mean, I think I kind of think when people at 
at that level, like the fact that he pitched it that way, you know, like told us this is a young adult novel or YA novel was because that's like a, almost like a technical classification of it, you know? Okay. Like, um, that's but, where it goes in the bookstore. Right. In this exactly. Section, <laughs> which is really too bad because I mean, like how many of those YA books, let's be, let's be clear. A lot of YA books are like Fabio novels for housewives. They're just, they sort of exist in this like production uh, factory kind of mindset they're produced you know they're they're churned out to be some sort of derivation on some popular thing but then there's a bunch of other ones that are just as legitimate as any kurt vonnegut novel you'll ever read right it's and it's like they kind of it's really hard the, the few times i've stopped in a YA section it's really hard to kind of figure out which ones are, yeah. are good i don't even know i it's it seems like i probably no, I've talked about a non-wide. I was going to say every novel I bring to this podcast is a YA novel, but that's not true. That's not true. Um, it I, it also it concerns a 15-year-old protagonist, and it is told in first person, which I think okay. is really uh, okay. uh, a hallmark of the YA novel these days, too. Yeah. I think, and apologies to Thomas Lennon, because I, I think he's wonderful, I, I think to the detriment of the genre, I wish we mm-hmm. didn't have so much first-person crap in YA, I think it like, uh, for example, when I tried at one point to read the Hunger Games, and I was so aggravated by that first person. Yeah, I couldn't. I, like, I couldn't do it. I couldn't I do it. Well, yeah, yeah. And you can't describe the. There are some places where that's excellent for describing the world, and then there's some places where it just really fails. And I was like, I don't get it. I don't know what the difference is with this world. You're just factually telling me that it's different, but it's like, how would you even know? You don't know what the other world is like. You know, like, like it works for books like The Hatchet, right? Or or books where you're like, it's a lone survivor kind of a mindset, or Rambo, or you know, First Blood, sure. like that kind of stuff. But Hunger Games fell into that trap. She painted, she made her world so too compelling, where a single person's point of view of that world was not enough. I'm like, no, 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 you built an entire cool dystopia that's like really worth exploring. That's why the movies hold up so much better because you get mm. to see what President Snow would do if you know if if A, B, and C happens. Like you get to see right. and. And to the movie's credit, it's it's mainly Jennifer Lawrence's point of view, but it's still you, you get to flesh it out more. And that was my yeah. only complaint. I'm like, when it's an insular world, or if it's like you know, Twelve Angry Men, or something where the the location is very, it's almost like a stage play. Then yeah, yeah. I, think, I think you can play around with that point of view a lot more. Yeah, I, I think there's some hilarious fact like the I think the first Fifty Shades of Grey was in first person, and then the next two were in third or something. <laughs> Stupid like well, that. remember Fifty Shades of Grey was started off as Twilight. Twilight. Yeah. Anyway, I to Thomas Lennon's credit, I do think it's pretty cool. Like the description of the world through Ronan's Boyle's Ronan Boyle's eyes is interesting because I think too many perspectives there or a third person omniscient would would uh, it would feel a little too filled in, and so yeah. you you kind of get the confusion of this boy discovering this whole secret world that exists around him but you're also um and it's and it's really cool because he's in the police so he's try he's trying to solve a bigger mystery and as the pieces of that start coming together you know and you realize if, i i would almost say of course you know it's tied into the very specific case he's working that has implications on the bigger mystery about um his parents um who've been accused of this crime and locked up incorrectly and so uh because it's first person, you're you're getting that unreliable narrator who apparently did know that some fairy stuff existed and some sort of magical, you know, realm was out there. But 
you're still taking it in through his surprise at all of these things. You know, he's okay. staring at the the leprechaun who starts musking and it smells so bad, this like stench that he lets off when he's in a closed space. And and then all these like funny little uh, pieces, which I assume are sort of equally taken from funny Irish stories, uh, fairy tale stories, and also just Thomas Lennon's imagination, you know, things like that, how, how much they care for their pipe and their shoes and their shoes are really the, you know, the, that's the, that shows their wealth more than like money or something like that. And little leprechauns that is. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, it's just like a, it's, it's a really wonderful uh, way to do this. Having not read the Harry Potter books, but seen the movies, I would think that that's sort of an easy, uh, like adjacent kind of genre to it, you know, okay. where it's like there's magic in the real world, but they're still driving in cars and, Got it. you know, yeah. there's still a police and, you know, like you assume sort of normal present day things around. Um, and I, and I think because there's a comedian who's, who's honestly written a bunch of movies, um, too, including Baywatch. Um, but he, Wait, he wrote the Baywatch movie <laughs> with the rock. I believe so. I think he That's told, about that. awesome. <laughs> I, uh, wow. I, and I think, so it, it has a lot of that, like so much of the humor in it is not laugh out loud to me. It's just amusing because it's like, this is a funny way that he's describing all of this stuff. Okay. Um, so I really enjoyed that. I would say one, one thing that left me a little bit confused and thinking like, oh, is this a YA trait or something is um, it's, it almost loves its world building so much that you feel like, well, Ronan's just going on this adventure and he's going on that adventure and they're cases. Like he goes on this case and then he goes on this case, but it's not like, there's not much more to it than him going out there with his mentor and, you know, finding out something, you know, you're kind of like waiting for the action to kick in because it's, he's sort of a little bit in love with like this crazy world that he's developing. Mm -hmm. Um, but I think one thing that, that helps alleviate that is near the end of it, where it's like all the action is kind of rushing. It ends on this big cliffhanger and I am fairly certain that he said it was a planned trilogy. Um, and I think because like going into it, knowing that it felt, it felt very movie like, like, you know, Mm. when I got to the end of it, I felt like, okay, you've introduced all the crazy stuff and now we have this cliffhanger. And in fact, one of the really funny things is cause I, I have it on Kindle and, um, apparently on Kindle, when I opened it, it just went to chapter one. It did not go to the prologue as the beginning of the book. And the prologue explains that what you're about to read are the diaries of Ronan Boyle, who is very, very missing. (laughs) Oh, interesting. Okay. So had I known that going into it, it would, it would have sort of added to that mystery of like, wait, you know, what's going on? But you do, you do get the diary aspect. And don't you love how Kindle just does that? They're like, yeah, you don't need to read all this stuff at the beginning. Here you go. And they just, page whatever right it also because the title is bridge of riddles which there is a bridge that involves riddles uh but i it made it sound like that would be a like the important thing and it just sort of like set dressing so i don't (laughs) i don't really know like well is that a hint at something in the future um i I wasn't really clear so uh but all of that to say like it i I ended up really enjoying that it ended on this cliffhanger. Not, I was not frustrated in any way because it's, Mm. it's a cliffhanger in the sense that like the, you know, very last line of the book plugs in some interesting information and you're like, Oh shit. 
Um, and it, you know, it's just a neat like realization. Like you, I mean, I'm sure you could have called it from, you know, earlier clues, but, uh, you know, just, just has that sense of like, now I got to read the next one. <laughs> um, so yeah, I, has he written all three yet or just, the I first don't one? know. Great question. Um, I, yeah, I, I, I'm not sure. He spoke at Comic-Con as if he had not, but who knows? I wonder if it's uh, going to be like one of those name of the wind, uh, Daniel Rothfuss or whatever that guy's name is, um, who he's been, he's kind of like George R. R. Martin. He can't, he's got his last book to do and he just can't do oh, it. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's a, it is a common I mean, thing. Apparently. It's, a, it's a short read, um, you know, and it's, and it's really fun. And I would say just, uh, you know, knowing who we know uh, of people we know who are our audience, um, it might not appeal to everybody um, in our general age range and uh, demographic and stuff like that. But uh, this is a thing I can I can picture giving to oh, man. I wonder, like ten to thirteen year old sort of area. Okay, and, and them thinking it's really funny. But um, like I, I'm sure I could read it to my niece and nephew and they would both think it's really funny because there's like a, a, a and this is no spoiler because Thomas also talked about this at Comic-Con where there's like a, a bar that all the leprechauns go to in Tirnanog, but they don't get drunk. They all eat this pickle that is so much hotter than anything that a human could consume. Um, and then so they I mean, eat put these, it on YouTube. <laughs> they eat these pickles and then it gives them the pickle toots. And they fart and shoot up and and bonk themselves into the ceiling. Oh, and they're like wow. so filled with this like laughter and hilarity at this. Um, so it's one of those things where it's like, you know, to me, that wasn't like funny. It, it was just like yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. it was a funny scene and a funny like imagining of this. And, you know, they go into the, like the Ronan Boyle goes into this bar. And, of course, it smells terrible. And there's like a troll that they have to get past to get into the bar or whatever. And so all those details are like just sort of fun and colorful. Um, but I'm sure that, you know, young kids are going to think like these farting leprechauns shooting into the ceiling is like the funniest thing they've ever heard about. You know, there's mattresses on the ceiling to prevent them from hurting themselves. Um, all this like crazy Insurance. details. Yeah. I mean, one of the things he does really well is he puts in uh, a bunch of those little funny real world like examples of like if this happened, of course, you know, like. Uh, if you, um, there's a bunch of selkies there, which are like a, a half seal, half woman sort of mermaid thing. And Ronan falls in a pool with them. And of course it's filled with like selkie poop because like, they just like, they have nowhere else to go, but like, in, like this little tub. Um, now given what you know about the author's other work, does right. this feel like it's, <laughs> it is, it fits along like you, you, it, it's written like, Oh, this is what I would expect from him. Or is it like, wow, I never knew he could do this. Well, I, um, I think when he was describing it, I was like, what the hell? This is crazy that you came up with this. Like what a, what a random thing. And I'm, and I'm wondering as he's telling it, like, I wonder if he's got kids this age, you know, is he really into like Irish history? And I don't know what are the sort of facts of his life that, that gave birth to this. Um, but having read it, I'm like, yep, that's the kind of children's book officer Jim Dangle would write. <laughs> okay, good. I, you know, I mean, and you're much smarter than the Jim Dangle character, of course, but like, you know, it's, it's, it seems to fit with the Thomas Lennon sense of humor. 
it's just it's always every once in a while you'll find uh, a work by somebody usually it's written as a book or something where you're like huh how did this come out of that person yeah exactly and uh i always i always double check that because it's it not that i don't mind that so much it's just always alarming when the work seems you're like what are why isn't this what you're doing all the time right. so if, if it's a part of a, yeah. a greater whole stylistically or or aesthetic wise it just it seems to flow it, a little bit better it definitely doesn't feel like a like celebrity um like vanity project kind of thing that ah good you know, it's just good it's not like his his name is just stuck on like a story that some he you know he came up with a I, I, like we've talked about the Alyssa Milano name on <laughs> the hacktivist comic uh-huh. <laughs> yeah I came up that's... with the idea and then I hired a creative team to make it like that's definitely not the case this is like very imprinted from his psyche one of the really neat things about it is the way he uses footnotes and especially the way that works on the kindle where you can just you know tap the footnote and it appears and then you can close the window and a lot of times those are explaining um like gaelic words that mean something specific to the story Mm -hmm. um and a lot of times they are just funny footnotes and like one of the things that recurs is the Garda officer who writes the prologue explaining that this is a, the diary of Ronan Boyle is that he's in the footnotes like this never happened. I don't know what Ronan's talking about. Yeah. <laughs> so you kind of have to click on all of them to figure out, um, you know, like it's get a little bit more fun out of the story. And that's that's a really neat aspect. And, uh, you know, I can see I can also see that being like a cool sort of secret clue kind of thing to a kid reading it. Does so, it supply valuable Easter eggs that way that are like, oh, like, or is it just purely like for fun and, and sort of filler? There, it's it's fun. There are definitely, there's definitely more information about the world that's delivered that way, but there's nothing like an Easter egg, like the clue to solving it is in one of those. And if you don't okay. find it, you know, it's not that kind of thing. But okay. I, 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 thinking of all of this, I'm, I'm standing by that sort of age range. You know, I, I don't know what kids are like after they hit 10. So like 10 to 14 probably, but um, there's definitely other YA literature I've read, which is more of that, like 14 to 17 age, you know, the, like the puberty age, kind of like Mm -hmm. the hardcore, like uh, maybe that's like 13 to 17 or something, but this is a little bit younger than that. You know, it's like, um, you know, like I said, it's fart jokes and poop jokes and stuff in inside of all this crazy uh, Irish mythology, which is, or not even mythology, but like fairy tales, which is just really I am, fun. I, I do keep going back to Carnival Row, um, but I'm also, you know, for some reason, Peaky Blinders is popping in my head. And that's not even at all the same thing. Other than <laughs> it's, it's Irish and it's that sort of that era, but it's just like, I don't know. I, this sounds like a book. Here, here's a better way to just explain it. It sounds like a book where Sam Neill might pop up for some reason as like one of the characters. That they made the movie. For sure picture sam neill as one of the characters in this <laughs> yeah it just has that sort of quality to it We're like this calls for sam neill everybody let's bring him in bring I, and, sam uh, in yeah and a kate there's a kate blanchett role for sure oh yay you know we've never seen sam neill and kate blanchett in a movie together i don't believe mm. that's fascinating we've seen him and um the woman who plays rita skeeta uh, I forget her name off the top of my head, but they were she was um Mab and the Lady of the Lake in the Merlin movie or miniseries. Um, mm-hmm. Sam Neill, I it's a little something about me. Sam Neill used to be once upon a time my absolute favorite actor, and uh, I still have great respect for him. But like there was a there was a time in my youth when he was sort of the uh, the pinnacle of acting for me. I don't know why. 
just happened that way. He's, I, man, he's amazing. Somebody, <laughs> somebody, a uh, friend of mine, Peter Jensen, in case he's listening, name check, mentioned at some point, remember that first uh, Harry Potter movie directed by Chris Columbus, where it, the fir- those first two Harry Potter movies look very different because it's a very different sensibility. Um, but the yeah, right. actor who plays Professor Quirrell, who spo- uh, spoilers ends up being sort of the the host, the living body host for Voldemort at that point. Um, friend of mine, Pete Jensen, said, you know, that movie would have been 20 times better if, if they had just cast Sam Neill in that character. And I was like, <gasps> that would have been fascinating because you he has the gravitas of like a Hogwarts professor, but then you're like, you know, he to, to then realize that he was sort of under the control of something else the whole time would have been a little startling. Maybe it was oh, yeah. too, too real, and, but anyway. Sorry. And to, if anyone is confused, Sam Neill is in Peaky Blinders. Um, yeah. Yeah. That, that's, that, what I that's where your uh, segue came from. He's also in the Tudors, which is on Netflix. Is um, he? He's a uh, Cardinal. What's his face that Richelieu, or I'm not even sure if that's the right one, but the one that, or maybe that's a fictitious one, but he's the, he's the Cardinal that like, uh, I think he advises against the splitting of the church of England. Anyway, Kate Speaking and Sam Richelieu. appeared in a movie together called little fish in 2005. So Kate Blanchett and Sam have been, have started together or have yes. acted. And well, Hugo weaving. Oh, <gasps> What's it called? Little Fish? Little Fish. You and I are going to have to go watch this. Oh, my God. This sounds like something that I should have been obsessed with a long time ago. Like, those three together? Holy crap. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Anyway, uh, this has been the Sam Neill cast. Thanks for listening. We'll be back. (laughs) Yeah, and Sam Neill and new comic book cast with a book sandwiched in the middle. Um no, I'm glad we got to talk about all that stuff. Uh, it, it, you know, we've uh, we've had a couple of shorter episodes lately, and we love the shorter episodes. But you know, felt like we were we, we had stuff to say. It's kind of like a potluck <laughs> episode, kind of like a kind of old school Todd and Taylor episode where we just sort of riff on whatever. I I get your your you made a comment about your your uh, TBR pile just like stacking up, and I have got um not. Not nobody else sat in my lap and sang to me, but I have other little like <laughs> anecdotes about at least three or four of the books in my TBR pile. So it's like they all kind of personally mean something to me, and I'm like, oh my god, I'm and I'm trying to to pace it out. Like I've got to read this at the, I've got to read this so I'm going in fresh enough when we whenever we record, um, you know. But I've also got to got to pick and choose like which one comes first or whatever. And it's boy, it's hard to do. So. Oh. Well, where can people note, find us? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I was, I was just debating whether or not I wanted to go back into the uh, the uh, catalog of Sam Neill, but I will refrain <laughs> at this point in time. We'll save that for another episode. You can find us anywhere. Co- I was gonna say comics are found anywhere. I wish anywhere podcasts are found. Uh, Stitcher, Google Play, Pocket Cast, Apple Podcasts, Ooh. all of those places. If you're not subscribed yet, if you're just listening to this on the feed, please go subscribe. Tell your friends and share it. You can also find us on panelism.inc on Instagram. That's panelism.ink. And that's also where you can find our back catalog, www.panelism.inc. And get all the old episodes. And future episodes will obviously be there too. And we've talked about a couple things that we're planning. So hopefully maybe at some point soon that will come to fruition. Anyway. I would say check the Instagram. That's our favorite way to communicate. And if we make any kind of announcements about whatever's happening in the future, check there. That's right. That's and right. if you're in Orange I, County, visit Strange Cereal. 
Yeah, that's a great name. God, that's just a great name. I can't. I want to check back in on that store in like two to three years and just see how much it's evolved since uh, early yeah. days. You know, one of those people like I remember when it was a uh, when it was just a shelf of some random crap they found at a flea market. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> including, including, and I'm serious about this. Stanley's cap. <laughs> Like, you're just some old guy ranting in the parking lot. I remember when I bought Stanley's Catwoman. He's like, this poor guy thinks Stanley made Catwoman. <laughs> I remember when cats had claws. <laughs> Aquaman were made of aqua. Stealing worms from other out of earth.